Welcome to the Hotel Analyst Podcast, where, as usual, for the next 20 minutes or so, you'll have our news and views from around the uh, hotel and accommodation space investment-wise. Uh, my name is Chris Bowne. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we're going to start by taking a look at the new normal of global travel and uh, how it's uh, different from the old normal. Uh, and there, as, as everyone hopes, things return to previous levels of uh, international travel and activity. There are some substantial uh, noticeable differences emerging. One of them is uh, everyone's wondering, everyone's hoping, um, when will the Chinese uh, start to travel at the same levels as they did prior to the pandemic? There's also some issues around uh, airlines and how they uh, uh, rebuild their networks not least because there are some parts of the world where uh, it's not so safe to fly over at the moment uh, and that is is informing the way they behave there's also an issue around certain parts of the globe which seem to be slightly anti-flying and are increasing taxes and uh, making it more difficult to fly whereas other parts of the globe are quite happily busy building brand new airports and and pushing on you know, going for growth um, and then there's the emergence of kind of new regions who are looking to, uh, well, either they're looking long term, medium to long term, to uh, grab a much larger slice of global tourism, such as, for example, Saudi Arabia, following perhaps the example of uh, Dubai, its, it's neighbour. Um, and then there are also um, parts of the world which which enjoyed a lot of uh, economic up, upside from tourism. They saw it evaporate completely during the pandemic and they're very keen to double down on that as things come back. Um, so uh, listening to a, uh, a webinar, an aviation webinar recently on, uh, on the whole aviation market, uh, it does hear that it's basically the faltering Chinese economy is going to dampen the return to the previous levels of activity for uh, outbound and inbound Chinese travel. So don't expect that to uh, come back uh, back to the old normal by the end of this year. It, should, it could well take much longer. Um, the markets that rely on Chinese outbound, such as uh, Australia, Thailand and so on, are obviously working really, really hard to encourage those visitors back. But meantime, uh, as I mentioned, um, some of the markets that are really pushing hard to uh, grab extra tourism dollar as things bounce back include the uh, the Saudis who are building hotels and resorts all over the place. Uh, and interestingly, one of the other big uh, potential beneficiaries is Egypt, which is is doubling down on the uh, economic benefits it previously enjoyed from tourism and pushing hard to uh, privatise its hotel stock and uh, encourage new investment. And, uh, and one success in the last few weeks has been a, a major investment from a couple of Abu Dhabi companies who are going to help build more hotels there. So uh, the old guard reshuffling, uh, some of the new guard coming in. Yes, Egypt I want to highlight here, and that's to support the overall point I want to make, which is how much more resilient the travel and tourism business is um, to geopolitical shocks than it has been historically. Um, it's quite extraordinary, I think, the level of resilience it has shown over uh, recent events. So we, we can take the Ukraine-Russia war, which has really caused barely a blip in the recovery path, you know, obviously outside of um, Russia and Ukraine itself. Um, there's been disruption in Eastern um, European markets on the border, but little more than that. 
that. Underlyingly, their businesses are still fundamentally very solid. Um, and this latest um, outbreak of violence in the Middle East, uh, you know, I, I, despite feeling very positive about the hospitality business, um, my expectations were for a significant downturn. So. Um, the um, Egyptian Minister of Tourism, Ahmed Issa, this week um, gave a speech or a report back to the legislature in, in Egypt and uh, he, he reported on what has happened in terms of the number of tourists since the 7th of October. Um, and it's quite extraordinary. So take a guess, Chris, just take a guess on mm. what's happened. Um, is it down 8%? Is it down 18%? Is it down 28%? What, what would what, what's your feel? For? <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to go go middle, go 18. Go 18. You see, well, everybody expects, well, actually 8% growth. Well, Would you well. believe it? Yeah, that and that is on for the same period a year earlier. Now, admittedly, there's a few things in there in the mix there which has um, helped the position, but extraordinary that it's been able to continue growing in the teeth of uh, such an extraordinarily trying geopolitical environment um, so I mean what has helped it has been that Egypt was on a uh, it'd been a bit slower out of the traps in terms of the recovery so that had a, that bit of that tailwind behind it and there's no question that it was below where you know the target it set itself so um, nonetheless in 2023 Egypt broke all records for tourist arrivals 14.9 million beating its previous record of 14.7 million it set in 2010 quite extraordinary i would suggest now it had been expecting to beat it even more um so we we talked about that 14.9 million well um that the ministry had been targeting 600,000 more it said um but it put in place some measures to uh shore things up a little bit and so it's still able to to keep growing quite exceptional um now overall of course there's a you know a very negative outlook uh for egypt regarding the outbreak of that violence i'm not very negative but some negative um outlook um economists overall believe the 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 gdp of the country has been cut but again less than i would have anticipated um 0.5 percent uh, 50 basis points or less than 50 basis points this is a uh um, the median average um according to a reuters poll um and this has been from um things such as the suez canal um revenue from that going down because of those um houthi attacks um from based in yemen that's just restricting the amount of uh, ships keen to go through mm -hmm. um that that particular route take that particular route so it, it's not surprising that um, there's been a bit of a downturn there but nowhere near to what you know one might have anticipated i would suggest and this i think it really shows just how far as an industry we have come as we look back to say the first gulf war um and you know it was a case of a whole bunch of Americans just stopped getting on planes at that point. Um, that's not been the case. You know, people have been able to isolate off and have a much better understanding that, uh, you know, that's the area of a problem. And we're going to go 
we're quite happy to go adjacent to it um and we're seeing that now and so you know you know if you if you want to go through and say look we've had a bit of the four horsemen of the apocalypse scenario over the last decade or so so if we say the economic famine that was the gfc we had the plague that was covid and of course we have the wars which uh both russia ukraine and uh the middle east and yet you know the the, the these three at least um, i'm not sure we can actually pass death i don't know mm-hmm. sure the hospitality's got the the wherewithal to see off the final horseman but uh, um certainly the first three it's been remarkably resilient and i think this has really boosted the investment case um for the industry overall and is uh, um you know out of what is appalling news uh, generally um i think we can take uh, uh, you know a pretty large positive from a Uh, travel tourism and hospitality perspective now short-term rentals and hotels like to live uh, the life of frenemies uh, friends and perhaps enemies Uh, if you're booking booking booking.com you're probably completely agnostic because you list the pair of them together side by side Um, but there's certainly evidence from recent research that um, the the needle is swinging back towards hotels as consumers get past the pandemic during the pandemic they very much preferred that uh, perceived security of your own front door and your own private rental but it seems as they travel now uh, they're looking more and more for hotels that's great news for the hotel companies uh, less good news for airbnb um, which of course uh, as the uh, the leading brand in short-term rental listings is facing a raft of other uh challenges as it as it pushes on and we did note the last uh, time we, we updated on their quarterly results that uh it did seem to be that the the prices they were charging uh, were worse looking somewhat weaker um airbnb facing pressure on from city authorities and so on and uh, famously not not long back in new york had its had to dramatically cut its risk listings because uh the authorities there clamped down on who was allowed to list short-term rentals um and uh one of the things that the, the airbnb has just done is they've established a new housing council uh this is a bunch of worthies who is going to advise them on the best way forward and how to uh deal and interact a little more positively with with city authorities around the place they've uh, hired the uh, former mayor of baltimore uh, along with a number of other senior figures in uh, local government in housing and in advocacy for uh, housing and they're looking to work out how they can interact more uh, positively with with city authorities both on short-term housing but i think it also suggests perhaps they're looking to build up this uh, something that brian chesky has mentioned in the past which is that they want to get into a longer term uh, housing rental as a, as a rental platform as well um, but uh, good news for hotels less good for airbnb yeah i mean we've been saying for some time that the regulatory stick is being swung um about time too i'm sure many hoteliers will say and we would largely agree with that um we have been critics of airbnb really Uh, early critics of airbnb from the point of view of inadequate life safety inadequate uh, um, tax paying um, not by airbnb itself but by its hosts and um, the um, avoidance of planning legislation as well so in those three key areas um, it, it is effectively regulatory arbitrage a point we have repeatedly made 
but 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 um, we have also said the reasons the regulatory stick is swinging is not good news overall for the short-term accommodation industry because that stick as it swings and knocks over airbnb can soon swing back again and clobber um, more legitimate short-term accommodation businesses such as hotels this week um, as we're recording this actually um, by the time you, you listen to this the French legislature is will have voted on a new law giving local authorities strong powers to control um, the you know further short-term rentals Airbnb law effectively um, these laws include quotas um, changing taxes um, so that the tax breaks that have been enjoyed by owners of accommodation not hoteliers of course but uh, um, in private individuals um, they will be changed to be um, much harsher and um, there will be um, harsh terms on anybody that is actually providing short-term accommodation having to add compensating amounts of housing um, and it's areas like this that I've really got some worries about what this means for hotels in terms of particularly obviously hotel development if that'll just become the norm um, not only if you're doing an Airbnb but if you want to do a hotel you're going to have to build a you know an affordable housing block alongside it it looks like um, so the overall feeling in France itself right now is that uh, the French will probably park most of these proposals until after the Olympics. The last things they want over the the, the summer is, uh, um, you know, uh, headlines about people not having anywhere to stay, you know, having to, say, live in London and travel to Paris, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a problem for us over here, I guess, but... Um, certainly wouldn't be uh, beneficial for the point of hosting the olympics um now the ft carried a report um about bayonne um which is a uh, basque city the main basque city um had already introduced some of the laws that are being talked about in these uh, proposals um and now since they introduced the laws um the um they've been just two licenses for short-term holiday rentals um the laws came into force in march 2023 so you know previously something like 4200 three-year licenses had been issued according to the ft report so that gives you a sense of that near sort of total stop um in terms of what has happened um a similar thing um has been occurring in new york city something we've previously reported on so um back in september the the um, nyc had this um a very significant clampdown um which has really slowed um again not maybe quite as severely as what's gone in bayonne but there has been a very limited number of new licenses approved and it's very difficult to uh, run an airbnb on uh, you know if you if you're not actually in the building and so you'd have to apply for a whole separate different uh, sort of license for that so again it's more or less eviscerated airbnb's business in its conventional sense in in new york city and airbnb is you know keen to point out that this has done very little in terms of uh, um, ameliorating the problems that the laws were designed or brought into effect to um 
to deal with. So it is this issue of the lack of affordable apartments to rent, affordable residential accommodation. So if you look at the New York data, which Airbnb uh, pointed to in a press release in the middle of January, um, it said rents in New York are up 2.3% in December. Um, it said that uh, the available rental inventory was still falling. It said it had fallen 6.3% since August, adjusting for seasonality. So the notion that you're going to get lower rents and more um, available accommodation um, it, it always was absolute nonsense, I think. Um, and uh, I mean, it's, the, the data supports that view. And I think that the problem is that uh, it's going to be something which uh, politicians are, are going to reach for. Their, their you know, failed policies like rent controls have never stopped them in the past introducing rent controls and it, it you know that there is so much pain at the moment in the residential market that politicians are going to be uh, forced to do all sorts of daft things by voters even i think often they know that they don't actually you know have any um positive if effect um but they just need to be seen to be doing something and you know at the moment it's uh, airbnb in their sites but as i started this uh um, th this comment piece um, by saying it, it you know short-term accommodation um, is going to be in the sites generally and it's going to be so much harder you know tourists tourists and tourism are going to be seen as the enemy of uh, affordable housing which is a very bad situation to be in and we need to join the fight with uh, Airbnb much as it might be pain us and point out well, actually um we're not the problem here it's your daft um, um planning practices and the way you've tried to um control the market um the housing market and it's it, it's that which needs to be fixed not some sort of bashing or finding of scapegoats which is what is happening at the moment so um yeah it's kind of you know, I, I think it is about time that Airbnb faced some proper regulatory uh, um, scrutiny. But uh, I, um, I, I think overall, it's it's a net negative for the outlook in terms of how it's going to impact growth of the travel and tourism business. Now, Andrew, you've been on your travels, and so uh, uh, we're going to ask you now for your thoughts on. Uh, I think was it uh, Best Western you've been. Uh, spending some time with <clears throat> yeah so um, um, yeah, um most people um listening to podcasts podcasts we're familiar with this very storied brand um been around since was it 45 46 anyway it's uh, uh founded it's certainly sort of getting on for 80 years anyway um that it's been around um and it, it just had a reputation for being you know sort of a collection brand where if you really can't stump up the cash to to franchise with one of the bigger players you you go here as a sort of a cheaper alternative cheaper and less effective alternative so um um we've largely to be honest ignored it um it's something which we don't cover they don't report um any figures um there's not much you know uh, um, insight to be gleaned what's going on in the market by by looking at them historically so um 
but um, they sent me an invite to go along to their conference in Miami Beach um, and uh, being flown out to Miami Beach what's not to love was just <laughs> yes was just too uh, attractive to turn down so I'm afraid I did take the ticket <laughs> and uh, um, head out um, but actually uh, I was but genuinely pleasantly surprised. Um, um, I think there's a um, there is a sea change there. It's a reinvigorated management. Um, not that David Kong now. David Kong had been you know one of the longest standing CEO, the longest standing CEO in the business. He joined uh, uh, Best Western back in two thousand and one and became CEO in two thousand and four. I mean, he retired. Um, um, just over two years ago um, and, and he'd done a good job in, in, in bringing the, the group into the sort of modern age um, and making it address the issues that uh, matter in terms of particularly distribution. Now I thought that journey had come to an abrupt end when the members voted not to become a for-profit so there's a big push to become a for-profit to turn it basically into a traditional franchise kind of model um but they voted that down they wanted to stay a sort of cooperative type approach where all the member hotels control the business um and i thought oh dear well this is sort of a step backwards but it doesn't seem that's the case it seems to be carrying on with energy and uh, initiative um um it's you know there's a new um uh, CEO come in um, and Larry Kuchulik is 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 really um, I, I think a dynamic individual um, who is he, he has a military background and I think he sees this as sort of a similar sort of service type role for him um, very dedicated person a man of you know just meeting him a few times he seemed to have a great deal of integrity which i think is brought into this business um and uh i, I mean it, it comes through it, you know there's a good match there between him and i think uh, best western um and and they seem to uh, really you know understand that what they've got to do is grow because the the scale of uh, their organization is going to be critical to being able to drive what it needs to do which is deliver um through its system um that the distribution platform the effectiveness of it is really a function of how big it is so and it knows it's got to it's got to add brands and to that extent it's now 18 brands under the overall um best western um, banner so it's got these this thing called safe stay which it had sort of earmarked to become part of the the new franchising um, approach um, but it's also got in the thing i was at was called the world hotels conference and it was uh, upper upscale and luxury and that's the first that's the first time that uh, acquisition in early 2019 that best western moved into that into those segments at the the top end of the chain scale segments um and this i think is um this 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 ability now to offer across the spectrum um i think has changed how um best western sees itself um 
um, and and you know in in terms of listening to how it talks about brands, listening to how it talks about the uh, uh, importance of the loyalty schemes, there's very little to separate those sort of things than from a you know a traditional for-profit uh, um, global major um, hotel brand company. Um, and this this and and the the sort of rhetoric the um, that. Sp- was um displayed on the stage um in terms of around the brand so joel park who's the relatively new um uh, chief marketing officer there talked about you know the most important things bringing the location to life celebrating craftsmanship and having staff that feel like friends i think that's a very um strong thing to offer in that uh luxury and lifestyle space um especially the 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 sort of in the collection brand area which is obviously where uh best western um sits um or the world hotels one in particular sits but best western itself sits within that piece um it's not a hard brand it's very much a soft brand and uh um and as Kuchulik sort of said, it it is the world's leading soft brand company. Um, and <clears throat> the the other sort of appeal it has is that when you've got capital constrained owners, it's a relatively cheap thing to sign up to. So you're not going to face a property improvement plan. Um, you can sign on the dotted line um, without um, handing over a lot of cash. Now there are options for that for the uh from the big brand companies but the actual fee levels are much much higher than with best western now of course there's a quid pro quo in terms of the level of resources and services you're getting are are uh, more limited but how much more limited that's an interesting question um and i think the only <clears throat> and i think the, th- the threat to the big brand companies is that they darn well need to have some very very compelling system delivery um otherwise um owners and investors are going to balk at paying their their fees so i think this is quite an interesting uh thing to have in the market uh, um magnuson hotels um is a not dissimilar um proposition actually it's this low cost alternative to joining the sort of ranks of the branded hotels um now we can debate how effective this is going to prove in the long term um but i think it's uh, it, it it is certainly something which uh, uh, you know honestly chris we can't afford not to sort of mm-hmm. talk about on a more regular basis well and also particularly as uh, this windham takeover merger um battle goes on there's a there is a more of a discussion about what's in it for the uh, the owners and the franchisees so um well, I think that's a that's a good point, um, and something I reference in my written piece, which is that uh, this is going to be a motivator for the the global brand majors to do a bit more M and A to ensure they've got the scale, because you've got this issue that. Um, unless you have a massive system delivery there's a question mark against you know what those fees are there for, and in territories where you don't have. Um, very much scale um, how do you get there quickly uh, 
and it's all a bit chicken and egg and it's a, a problem the sector's faced for years if you want better system delivery add more hotels if you want more hotels improve system delivery well which one are you going to do first well the, the one you can really fix um, is um, adding more hotels and adding that through M&A and you've certainly seen Wyndham doing that um, in Europe and I think that's what the key driver for it is needs that scale to drive its system delivery and it's very conscious that unless it can drive system delivery um, it, 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 it's not a very compelling proposition and I think this is something for which the global brand majors um, have to think about and convince their owners and it's a good thing net for for owners to have the likes of BWH the likes of Magnuson Hotels there and available um, as an alternative. Now it's time for us to move on to our five star and no star rules for this week and uh, I'm going to give five stars this week to ongoing trading strength uh, we've just had some results in we've had a look at them from uh, two of the european operators uh, pphe and whitbread both reporting um, strong operating results uh, both seeing a continuing tailwind from the uh, return of uh, of business customers as a refilling back up to the kind of previous levels of of, uh, of trading ex experience and, uh, and occupancy and um, uh, both actually reporting that um, Germany which has perhaps been one of the slower markets in Europe to come back is continuing to uh, move in a positive direction so uh, uh, and no, no issues they all seem to be taking them in their stride yeah and and this is a great growth um and, and a demonstration again of the potential of our sector which it brings me <laughs> to one of the potential constraints on that growth which is governments and um, you know it's such a basic thing to get right um which is you know coming into and out of a country but we still seem to be struggling with it and um you know, I, I haven't been to the US for a few years, and uh, it was, you know, I do remember standing in um, LAX for over an hour in the immigration queue, and I was just sort of hoping that uh, um, I wasn't going to have a similar disastrous experience this time around. Luckily for me, I flew into Orlando. Um, unlucky from the point of view it's a three and a half hour drive to where I was heading which in Miami but uh, as it turns out it was almost as quick to come in through Orlando because everybody uh, told me who came in through Miami that they were waiting for about two hours at immigration <laughs> so it's uh, so so although I had uh, three and a half hours on a taxi um, people had uh, nearly as long to wait in the immigration queue so it, it's you know it's just appalling really come on get it right um, I mean the US government's not alone in that but uh, it's something which they had been promising to tackle and they had done something about, but they still seem to be struggling with. And it's, uh, it's just very, very irritating, really, because it's, you know, you spend that time waiting in the queue, you arrive at the counter, hand your password over, they flick at it and hand it back to you. I mean, well, <laughs> they've done all that. They had done all that through because I had to do my ESTA, the the pre-application process. So, you know, once I've done that, they just wave everybody through. For goodness' sake, it's anyway. Travelers' anyway. tales. Um, but uh, that. <laughs> Yes, that that it does need to get fixed, and it's something that doesn't actually cost that mm. much money. It just needs political will. And on that yeah. uh, note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>